Hey, everybody. Thanks for um, investing your valuable time and, and resources to be here. Um, we plan for it to be, you know, growing you personally and professionally, and I hope we have a good time. So uh, I'm looking forward to <clears throat> to getting to hear some of your questions as we go along. My name is Britt Treese. Uh, I run Five Senses, Five Senses Inspector Training out of Raleigh, North Carolina. Uh, some of my contact information will be available later. I'm also on uh, Nachi's instructor and mentor pages and those sorts of things if you want to look us up. Uh, today we're going to talk about grading moisture intrusion and foundation cracks. Look, think, and then talk. Um, This is in a way a compilation of some other webinars, but it's not the same. There's a lot more content here. Uh, we're gonna go for, they asked us to go for around about two hours and then we're gonna take a break in the middle at some point. Um, so let's get that going. Uh, <clears throat> I like to say at the top uh, who's helped and you know who's this is, this is, you know, this belongs to uh, my company's uh, a friend named Jeff, who's also a home inspector, helped me assemble this uh, from the beginning and lots of other guys that I'll mention along the way have helped. So thanks to clients, friends, trainers, trainees, and teammates. Uh, just who are we? Um, I've been inspecting in and around Raleigh for over six years, actually now. I'm a certified master inspector trainer, uh, certified indoor air quality consultant, Done over 2,000 homes now, 135 commercial properties, um, more than 800 individual multifamily and hospitality units, and uh, documented lots of repairs. <laughs> and now I think we're up to 47 or 48 trainees here in the North Carolina area. Um, just as we get going, <laughs> some of these guys might be on this call. Uh, I love seeing these pictures, man. Um, classes change lives. That's why we're here, right? Um, you know, John got to train on the left picture. John got to train on a commercial job. And then we got to go to the beach. I had to, I had to drag him to, uh, I think it was Atlantic Beach that day. Uh, Dan and Jason uh, got to train me a couple years ago. We had a great couple of weeks. And then uh, one night, Brad came out on an extra uh, inspection over in Durham, where I was concerned we might get fired upon. And uh, <laughs> he, uh, he treated me to the, the coolest uh, wing place in town. So you build friendships, you build um, your own um, human capital, you build your business by doing these sorts of things. So I really appreciate you guys paying attention. Uh, hope you enjoy it. <clears throat> When I approach a topic, when we approach a topic together, I often think about wonder. Um, are we still able to go outside at night and look at the sky? If we're away from the light pollution, away from the city and the noise, can we just stare up at the sky and enjoy uh, creation? Do we have a sense of, of wonder? Uh, can we stop and look at a lizard on the front porch or lately two have gotten into my house? Um, and, and just wonder at how they're made. Uh, maybe it's the way that your kids draw like a monster or like a unicorn, um, but do you have a sense of wonder? Because that's gonna help us when we get to the, the next thing that we encounter as we talk about 
moisture and grading and foundation cracks when we're on site on this is mostly going to be focused on home inspections but i'll touch a little bit on commercial stuff um how does it feel when you're stuck on site and there's questions that you're not ready to answer right um you're going to feel confused we don't we don't know everything when we arrive at the house There, it might be that once people start looking around and talking about the house, there's a bit of, <laughs> of cacophony, right? There's a lot of people talking. You're just ready to go do your inspection. And there's a lot of sort of background uh, noise, as it were. Maybe there is even uh, information overload. We're going to start off with some theory before we do uh, some case studies. And some of you guys that were on the earlier webinars will recognize some of those pictures. Uh, we've added several more, but before, before we do that, we want to talk about some theory. Um, man, that's an awesome picture. Uh, sometimes being up high allows you to sort of take a minute and think. So I think a longer form webinar like this allows us to have the time and the attention to sort of think about uh, what we're trying to what we're trying to accomplish here. I come from a teaching background. Um, there's this idea of higher order thinking. So where do we start when we're learning something? And in this case, we're learning about a specific property. Uh, this certainly applies to all your other knowledge and everything you'll learn in the other classes today. As you go on in your careers, you're always going to go through these steps, hopefully, and, and not skip them. But we start with information we can recall, or we might even say on site, we're going to gather data, right? We're going to do we're going to do our inspection and find out kind of the who, what, when, where, why, which, uh, maybe not the why yet, but the who, what, when, where, which of each uh, piece of the property. Okay. Obviously, as we do that, we're going to be defining some terms. We're going to be making sure we understand what we're finding. We're going to be, we're going to, be recalling previous data and inspections that, and that we've done and trainings that we've done and try to understand what we're finding on site. And a lot of us do that just quickly, right? Um, when we get to the apply stage, we are starting to put together other examples. We're starting to, to put together hypotheses and theories about what's going on on the property. Now, when we get to analysis, the last three are all higher order ones. And we tend to wanna skip to that stuff, especially if you're a fast processor, if you've been doing this for a long time, you like to go, just go on and skip to the end. And we're gonna talk about some of the issues if you do that. Uh, I, I, I struggle with that. But you wanna go to, to analysis, start to identify differences in, one condition versus another. You want to start to relate certain conditions, uh, theoretically at least. So there's negative grading at the rear left corner. I'm getting efflorescence and, and moisture marks at the same place in the crawl space. I'm gonna go ahead and start connecting those two things um, as I'm finding them and helping, and, and we're gonna get to on, on to helping the client understand uh, what we're seeing make distinctions, identify, start to identify some themes in what you're finding. 
when you when we get to evaluation, we're starting to get to a question of, of value. It's in the word, obviously. Do we agree with maybe a repair that was made? We're starting to perform to form a professional opinion. We're starting to assess the importance of different things that we're seeing. We're starting to think about recommendations and prioritizing issues. I mean, I'm not necessarily big on minor, medium, major, or whatever sort of triage you have for your issues, but we do have to find a way for client's sake to, to sort of to sort through them. And that also goes back to analysis. Finally, because we're home inspectors and because the purpose of the home inspection and, and my friend Brad King from Checkmate Inspections really helped me with this yesterday. The purpose of a home inspection is not, it does not end at finding out information about the home. I think that's so important. I'm gonna say it again. The purpose of a home inspection is not merely to find information about the home, it's to make sure the client understands that information. It is to make sure the client understands the information. So when we get to the create stage of any learning process, what we're trying to do is create statements and explanations that the client can understand. We want to, to in, to research and sort through and then create uh, statements, create um, plans even that the client can digest. There's a lot of architectural engineering type guys and girls out there that can make, uh, you know, a really nice uh, plate of sushi for their clients but maybe their clients just wanted fried chicken in their explanation. And so if you're making explanations that your clients can't understand, you're doing them a, a disservice. You're actually confusing them. So please, as we go through these slides, think about the way that you communicate because without the understanding of the gathering of the data to thinking about it, to communicating it, this won't make a lot of sense to you. But we wanna be client focused when we come to homes not merely home focus. A lot of us love being on homes. I love being on site. And, you know, and I've met inspectors that are like, man, the clients are the worst part of the inspection. No, the clients are paying you. So you need to make sure that you do the digging and that at least you set aside time to explain and speak with them and make sure they can digest it. I think digest is a really good word for them. That they can hear and understand what you mean. That we're not warmongers on homes that are out to destroy them. I've met a lot of inspectors like that. I'm not interested in that, um, just to be clear. You're not there to destroy somebody's home. You're there to help them understand the home. It's a big difference. Um, for those of us who are younger, <laughs> this picture makes me laugh. We like to skip the lower steps of learning, right? We like, to, um, we like to, instead of going through the steps, we like to say, I'm just gonna Google it, right? Instead of going through the beginning stages of learning, we tend to go, eh, I'll find it when I can. I'm not sure I understand it yet. I don't really have a theory, but I'm going to go ahead to evaluate and create. And I've seen this all the way from young people to grown people. Lots of folks do, do it this way. Okay, we're on to, we're going to go through these steps in order just so you understand what we're after. And this is built on like solid learning theory. 
And then when we get to home sites, it'll make more sense why we go through this process. Okay, so when you're on the recall stage, some might just, on home inspections, I almost called this just like data gathering. These are the questions you're asking. What, how, when, where, who, and which? This is how you're gonna answer it. This is the reason that uh, we call our training company five senses inspector training. You're gonna go to the, the place that you're supposed to look at. You're going to look, you're going to touch things. And have your hand on it yesterday, and my hand on a, a wet foundation wall. You're gonna listen. Sometimes it's a sound in a space. You're gonna smell. Sometimes it's an in, indoor air quality issue, right? Or there's like a musty side of the home. Um, I could have put feel in here. Sometimes you're getting bitten by mosquitoes in the south. <laughs> and that reminds me, hey, this side's really wet. You're gonna write, you're gonna take some notes. You're gonna, you're gonna test some, some uh, things in the HVAC system. We're not talking a lot about HVAC today, but you're gonna test some things on the HVAC system. You're gonna just, you're, sometimes you just need to stand, think and observe for a bit to gather that data. This is what it looks like to start this process on every home. Sometimes we have to dig it up with our bare hands, our bare eyes and our bare tools. What good is the knowledge about the home if we're not the ones that found it? You know, clients and agents can help us. They can alert us to things when we get there. Maybe you do some pre-research before you get on site, but we've got to still go verify and dig and find that data. It, you know, here's a few more reasons to dig. And again, this will give you some of the reasoning as to why we're going through things this way. Number one, we haven't been to this particular house yet. You know, I might feel uh, in, in our area that I've seen the house, same house 150 or 200 or 250 times, certain houses. I mean, I, I was at one yesterday that I've seen 50 times. You know, 1998, two story. Um, it's on a half negative grade, you know, negative on the left side only. It's kind of on a hill and I, I knew the neighborhood, but I still went through all the steps. Uh, that we're that we're explaining here. Number two, we want the client to have the knowledge at the end of the day. So that's why we're going to dig for the client. We are on site because the client commissioned us to go. They are paying us. We are their agent. The information belongs to them at the end of the day, not us. Um, in a manner of speaking, so we want the client to understand. All, the other thing with this point is when clients know about their home, they feel ownership, responsibility, authority. When they have their questions answered, they don't need us at every step of the way down the line. We should, this jumps ahead a little bit, but we should write reports so that we don't get phone calls about them. <laughs> if you're getting a lot of phone calls about your reports, that alerts you that something is unclear in your writing, in your communication. And today we're going to talk mostly about talking and some about writing, but in a sense, they're interchangeable. Your style is certainly related. We all write like we talk. And then, and then other times we just, we talk like we would never write in conversation, but they are related. We want the client to understand. And if our reports or our speech are unclear, the clients are gonna let us know by asking us more questions. We're gonna get more phone calls, more emails about them. 
Um, and so if you want to be inundated with extra questions, just write really unclear reports <laughs> and, and, and be unsure about what you're finding. Thirdly, we want the agent to understand. The agent some, in some transactions is the one really driving the process in, in some ways more than the, uh, the buyer is. So we want, we want the agent to understand. I missed a period there. We want to have inspection or we do have inspection integrity. If you're not doing the same thing on every home in terms of your process, of your protocols, how do you know that you're inspecting with excellence? You can't remember, did I do a full, did I do the whole home on that inspection or did I do part of it? Did I skip some things because I was busy that day? You know, we know guys who go back out because they, you know, they turn around the truck because they missed a bedroom. They, they got distracted and they go back and finish. That, that's the kind of inspection integrity that you want. Um, uh, we have a lot of crawl spaces in the South. I'm in North Carolina. Um, for those who didn't catch that, but uh, we have a lot of crawl spaces down here. Um, I teach and what I do is if we can't go in the crawl space, maybe there's standing water, maybe there's a, an animal. One time there was a snake hanging down out of the insulation. It was a fun day. <laughs> Even if we can't go in the crawl space, you can still look in from the access point, from the vents, you can look at the outside walls and you can look at the grading and you can start to get a sense of what you at least try to get as near as you can to, to where you want it to be. You know, don't just skip it and move on. Uh, finally, uh, your experience and the 80-20 principle have to combine when you're on site. And what I mean by that is, is what I alluded to earlier. Some of us have so much experience, right? When we get on site, we're like, I already know this house. But, and that, and that might be, you know, that might be 80% true, but you still have to do the digging to, to verify. Um, it might be part of the 20% of the homes that are unlike each other. Whereas the eight, whereas, you know, the principle is 20% of homes make up about 80% of our inspections, 20% of the types of homes. We're going to see a lot of repeat. But then the other way, it's also true that, that the other 80% um, the other, the other 80% that are out there, we're just not going to see them as often. And so that, that sounds like it's backwards, but what I mean is of the possible types of homes. We're not gonna see them as often, but we still need to check, okay? So you drive by a lot of barns, a lot of, um, you know, just random homes that you see that probably aren't gonna get sold anytime, you know, in your lifetime and mine, but they're still out there. They're, they make up the lesser piece of your inspections. And here's another word. Um, for you know, folks that you know have a have a have a great bit of experience. Um, experience is an amazing thing, but he, here's an appeal: when you arrive, thinking you know, I could probably mail this one in. Um, and I've already spoken to it a little bit. When when we have experience, to continue to build and refine your experience, you have to be a learner in the field. You can't arrive in the field as a know-it-all. You have to continue to approach it as a learner to, to build and refine your experience. And in that sense, your experience is never finished. 
because a true inspection doesn't come without work and our excellence is at stake every time we do a home inspection. I took so long on, on site yesterday, I couldn't figure out why. I was explaining stuff to the trainee, I was taking my time, but there was just a lot to do. Um, and as long as we have that internal standard of excellence, we don't have to wonder if we did a great job for our clients, for our families and for our coworkers. Um, the scripture says a wise man is the one who listens to correction. A wise man is not one who's always talking and bloviating. A wise man listens to correction. He's never finished learning. So when you look at this picture, I wonder, are we tossing the bag off into the sea and kind of mailing in the inspection? Or does this picture actually mean that we're on an adventure on every inspection? That we're actually enjoying every inspection, that we're still wondering at the home and trying to learn from it, that we're approaching it as a learner. I mean, this whole, I probably could have re-themed <laughs> re this whole presentation as being a learner on site. Uh, on, to, on to defining. Um, yeah, okay, actually, I'm gonna stop for a minute. Some of these questions definitely are related. Um, and Kenya, I don't know if I should read the name and the question. Um, maybe just, uh, I can help you read the questions yeah, and you just sure. answer them. Uh, one of mm -hmm. them is, do you inspect the basement home with a flooded basement? Do you walk in the water through the basement or do you just call it a safety hazard? Um, hold on, let me find that one. It's the second one on the q &A. Okay, okay, got it, got it. Um, and thanks for that one, John. Uh, I would never walk through the water. Um, there's a lot of good reasons not to get into water. Electrical being one of them, but I mean, don't know the Senate, you don't know the safety hazards. I mean, hey, if you're a fly fisherman like my friend Jeff and you got your uh, your big knee high, you know, waterproof boots and you want to, um, that's up to you. I would never teach or advise that someone walk through water. Um, here's the thing, and I talked about this on site yesterday with a trainee. When you come upon a space that is unsafe, you have and you document that you've already found the value for the client. I think that's important, and let me say it again: when you document that a space is unsafe, you have gotten the value out of that part of the inspection for the client. There isn't anything else that need be done, uh, and your standards should protect you. I don't know state by state by state, like I know North Carolina. I know in North Carolina, we're protected from entering unsafe spaces. And really doing anything that that is to our um, danger. Uh, so thank you for that. Um, Next one would be: uh, Do you report a basement home that is a hundred years old or more with jack stands in the basement holding up the floor? Do you report the jack stands? I do. So we're gonna, yeah, would definitely, um, John. But we're going to talk about later kind of creating solutions and working for clients and, and kind of some range of ways to communicate. But I'll say in general, there's only two ways to report on that. It's present and it's improperly done or it's present. Because if you don't write it up, your client is going to see it down the line and think that you missed it and that you don't know what you're doing as a home inspector. So you've got to say something about it. What I say, if it's, if it's proper and I'm not I don't really think you commented here if it was proper or improper, but 
if it's proper, I don't actually say it's proper. I just say um, something like jack stand, jack stands are visible in the rear right corner of the basement. Uh, consult owner, I pass the liability back to the client and the owner. So I see it and I give it back to the client to pursue the owner, consult owner concerning previous uh, damage and repairs or previous causes and repairs. I don't know the history of the property without a disclosure there. So I think the client would wanna know about it anyway. So I would go ahead and report on it. Um, um, yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. Sorry. Oh. Uh, yeah, I, I pulled them up. Um, boy, we're getting, okay. we're getting, <laughs> we're getting them coming in now. Um, I mean, some of these specific ones, I don't want to get into too many of these real, real specific ones. I'll do a few, but you know, we're going to go through some pictures and try to give you some principles. Um, it looks like um, some of these are really, again, really um, specific questions about being on site. And part of what I'm trying to show is you want to do that contextual sort of research as you're there, and that will help you communicate about them. But the next question, do you report on cracks in the driveway if they're a quarter inch or more? Do you go by an eighth inch rule? Um, I mean, some of that is professional opinion, you know, is the driveway really related to the home? Um, I tend to report on it the more there's like heaving and it's not an even surface anymore. If it's a small crack, I'll probably disclose it, but not really try to make a big, big deal about it. Um, I don't necessarily have a hard and fast rule there, but I try to use the context. Um, uh, the next one's a little bit hard to read. I think some words get repeated there. Um, let's save that next cracks question. Um, Nikki, this is a great question. Uh, how would you convey to a client that they may be risking the integrity of the inspection since we use that word integrity? By following you and talking the entire time. Um, boy, that, that's when I get from my guys here locally as well. So you're not alone, Nikki and, and all the other uh, folks on the call um, who, are, who are thinking the same thing, right? Because you're like, because I'm saying, go gather data, go do your inspection. And you're thinking, I have this person with me all the time. I think there's a number of artful ways to be positive and say that you need to do your inspection. Um, we're going to talk at the very end about um, kind of emotional intelligence and reading people a little bit. Uh, I mean, there's different ways to say that. Uh, some guys are not going to make it a deal and just always go early before the client. Some folks are going to instruct their client to come at the very end of their inspection. So instead of moving themselves up, they're going to move the client back a little bit. But I, I think this question sounds like it's already happening on site and you kind of are trying to deal with it. I would just set that expectation. Hey, I'm going to go, um, I've got to do this and this component. I might even just say it's two or three components. I might not say, I'm going to do the whole house, leave me alone. I might just say, hey, I need to go in the crawl space. It's not, it's not necessarily a safe place. I'm going to, I need to do that one. Um, and, and, and I'll do the garage and I'll come back up and talk to you about what I found. I would try to set their expectations and kind of set a boundary there. I think boundaries um, in life are so important. You know, the older I get, I think when I was young, I didn't know anything, um, barely anything about boundaries. And now uh, that's just an, making an agreement verbally between two people. 
like, Hey, this is what I'm comfortable with. And they're like, yeah, but I really want to follow you around. And then you can say, I'm, I'm excited to talk to you about what I find. I really, I really, really enjoy doing this. I need to be able to focus on the home. I think there's artful ways to say that. And you should put it in your own language and your own personality and all that kind of stuff, but I wouldn't blow them off. Um, it is their inspection. They have the expect, some of them will have the expectation they're supposed to follow you around. You don't know where that came from. Did the agent give that to them? Is that some issue they've had in the past? You know, everybody has a horror story about a past home. It seems like, um, just try to be understanding there. And, uh, you can even offer to walk them around at the end. I think there's different ways to do that. Um, maybe, you know, I'm going to scroll down. Maybe my guys, you know, may have a, a thought at the end. I know there's a few on there. Um, I'd love some other takes on that because that's an important question. Uh, Arthur asks, um, I've experienced when I use more simple terms to write up an issue, it's more likely to be challenged by the sellers. Okay. While a more technical write-up will not get a callback. Do you have any advice on how to strike this balance? That's great. I mean, because you're reading your, again, you're reading your market. So um, if your experience, you know, tells you otherwise, Arthur, and, and those of you out there, that's great. I also, I don't know at the end of the day, like, were they able to use that report for a repair or did it just kind of make you sound unapproachable? I'm not trying to be unapproachable with my report. I want to be accessible. I think those of us who've been in a lot of school, those of us who um, take pride in our work, sometimes we want to talk at such a level that we sound smart, but what it ends up being is we sound too smart for people to talk to. And I'm not commenting on your report. I've never seen it. Um, so, you know, there's no need to worry, but I think the simplest terms you can communicate in, I mean, there's some terms that it's just hard to use a different term than fascia board. Right, it's much longer to say, well, it's the front piece of trim as the roof comes down at the eave, you're using all these other terms to explain it. There's a certain point where you can't really simplify anymore, but to the degree that you can, um, I think it, it behooves us all to be clear with our clients. Um, so no, that's not a specific how-to or anything, but I think that's a great question and something that we all wrestle with. I find that I use the word repair a lot because I'm leaving at that point, I'm purposely leaving that up to, this, to the buyer or the seller or the handyman to figure out the repair. Um, do you, John, John, uh, John asked, do you recommend an engineer for call, an engineer for call, or maybe that means all soil compacting problems for compacting of the soil issues if you find cracks in the driveway and the basement that are large in the basement walls and the garage walls, block walls? I'm, I'm kind of repair agnostic. If you have, if you have experience with a certain type of repair for foundation cracks, you should um, stand by that. Uh, this is an area where personally, and again, my experience and my take are different than yours. And that's the beauty of education. You can take this in, think about it, go through that pyramid. Um, this is data gathering for you and think about how you want to move forward. But for me, I don't know about, I haven't seen a lot of specific repairs done in my own homes. I haven't had a lot of those issues. Um, and actually in Raleigh, there's not a ton of heaving and shifting. I see it in other areas around Raleigh, but um, <laughs> I just read the next question. Um, <laughs> uh, thanks, Eric. That's good. Uh, 
so if I don't have a specific recommendation, I'm going to leave that up to the client. The client can research that. The client is able to, and we're going to get to this in a second. The client's able to do their own research and come up with their own, uh, their own quotes and who, which contractors they want to recommend. Clients always want, want us to recommend contractors. I generally don't do it. I don't want to have, be tied up with that um, in those relationships. Uh, some of you have great contract relationships and you're happy to do that. And you feel like you can do that and, re and retain your inspection integrity, go for it. Um, I don't have those at this time. I'm happy to leave that up to the client and let them use their connections. Um, yeah, yeah, I, I was planning on doing questions more related to this part of the presentation, but that's fine. Um, also, Brad, if you yeah. want, at the end of the presentation, you mm -hmm. can share your email uh, so okay. they can send yeah. you questions if we don't get to all of them. Yeah. Well, hopefully I'm clear enough so there's not too many. <laughs> <laughs> Perfect. Follow my own rule, right? Um, that's probably, I'm going to, so that's one, those were the ones that came in up to about 1027. I'll come back to these. Um, I don't want to get necessarily stuck here and maybe um maybe kenya if you see something that's specifically related to something we just went over i didn't page all the way down um just let me know and there'll be another stop here um when we're done with this part um, will do okay okay thank you yeah i don't want to get too stuck in the specifics at the moment anyway as we're learning we're trying to define things this is a <laughs> i love this picture this is a child right riding a scooter uh, through these lines. And when we define things, we're putting lines around them, right? I mean, the soffit is not the fascia board. It's not the rake trim. It's, it's this one specific component. So we're, we're able to define components and define things we're finding. We're at this, this is asking us, can we interpret what we're finding? Can we state it in our own words, rephrase it, summarize it, explain it? When we um, go to answer our own questions here. We're, this is the time to maybe read or research something, to refer back to something you've learned in class, to check the code checkbook, to, to use a textbook. Um, I joked before the call that uh, my students get this giant, awesome, thick bit of Nachi books here. Um, refer back to your textbook, save them. Whenever I take a class, Whenever I take a class, I save the PDF, I file it away for future use, for future, maybe even use on site. Uh, do that. Make sure that you're, um, make sure that you're referring back to your materials. The next stage of learning is where we apply the knowledge. Um, this is just the beginning. This is kind of the beginning and middle stages of a building here. Uh, I don't know how many of you have traveled internationally. Um, <laughs> I, uh, I have a joke in class that when you see videos uh, from Internachi of someone traveling internationally and doing an inspection, that was like they got there, you know, they, they were on vacation and they did an inspection. I mean, that's great. I want to go on those vacations. Um, but I remember being in Turkey. Uh, several years ago and seeing these buildings that weren't finished. And I use that as a different analogy sometimes about not finishing what we start, but there was a lot of unfinished buildings that it fascinated me. They were platform built, um, tension concrete, you know, all the way up seven floors. And there were actually people squatting in the buildings. 
Uh, someone had financed it and not been able to finish. Here we're talking about beginning those stages of thinking uh, and beginning to develop our ideas about a property. And you go, you're going to do this constantly as you think through things. Um, when you get to apply, you're saying, what examples can you find? How would you develop? How would you utilize? What might you change would be a better way to put that. As you answer these things, you're going to look for other examples. You're going to find connections, compare alternatives, organize your observation, and, and form those early developments of your thought. We're constantly doing this with new, with new information, by the way. This is what, we, this is what your children do, what your, your teenagers do, college students, on down the line. As long as you're learning, you're constantly bringing in information because we don't know it all. And we're constantly trying to you know, define it, apply it, analyze it, evaluate it, and then create something new. Um, that's just the way that we're made. Uh, I love this picture. Um, this, everything in this picture looks very like cleanly organized, right? It's all in its, in its right place. When you get to analysis, you're asking more questions like, what is the difference between two things? How is, you know, how is a, let's say an, 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 an upstairs tub leak related to the dining room fixture falling through the ceiling. I mean, that's a pretty clear relationship, but we're still asking it. Um, I had an interesting one yesterday I had never thought about. Um, client called me out for a mold inspection and we're walking around, we're talking. She just mentioned offhand. She said, yeah, I had my house power washed uh, a, a few weeks back. And, and some of you are gonna have different opinion on this. This is my professional opinion from observation and experience. Power washing, she had vinyl siding. I, I said, don't you have vinyl siding? Power washing vinyl siding blasts water, <laughs> usually from a lower level, like facing up with your, your hose gun, blasts water into the siding, essentially. That's a, that seems like a bad idea. You know, If you know how vinyl's put together, if you've ever taken it apart and had to re-nail re, uh, it in to the, to the wall sheathing or or to the insulation or whatever, it is, uh, it has weep holes, it has gaps, it has joints. It's not a good idea to blast water in there. And you know, lo and behold, a month later, she has a mushroom growing in her bedroom, which is along the outside wall. Um, I can't say for sure that's a connection, but I'm certainly starting to look at the relationships between those two things. We're trying to figure out the timing of it. Um, we did some more investigation. We did some more digging and we talked about it. Uh, you're gonna answer these questions by breaking components down, by reorganizing, by looking at differences, looking for themes. Um, evaluate, it's like a little bit like a chess game, which is what's the important issue here? Uh, what is, uh, do we agree with a certain repair? What is our professional opinion? What are our recommendations or, or priorities for this property? We are all uh, <laughs> like property professionals. This is what we do, you know? It, and some people get that and some people don't, you know? 
Um, but this is what we do for a living. We, we put our, we put our time and our thought and our sweat and maybe tears, maybe blood. I don't know if you've been like attacked by an animal on site. <laughs> um, but, uh, we put our lives into this and, uh, we're going to think deeply about this stuff and we're going to come up with, with answers for clients. Um, you're going to start to select the key ingredients of earlier findings. You're going to use certain criteria. You're going to go back and access your education and experience and your honest convictions. Finally, we're going to create solutions. We're going to try to improve uh, the understanding and, and maybe the, re the repairs that a client can do if that's what they want to do. Um, this reminds me of my, of my daughters. They are fascinated with, with colored lights in their rooms. <laughs> um, and it just, it just breeds creativity. Uh, and I think we as parents love to see that. Ask, how would you improve the home? How could you minimize or maximize a certain feature? Can you formulate a theory or a model? This is different than applying. This is at the very end. This is kind of like your final creation you're doing. How would you adapt a certain situation to create a different outcome? Use some verbs that will help you um, create. Continue to question. Figure out ways to improve the site. Compose something, design something, invent something uh, that will improve your, your client's understanding or their use of the home depending on the situation. So again, uh, we want to talk about looking, thinking, then talking. And I've, I've taken these verbs and put them into very more specific actions. So as we went through this, you're going to dig through the site. You're going to dig through the home, find the data. You're going to understand what you're finding. You're going to develop a theory. You're going to start to categorize symptoms that you're finding and, and, and causes as well would be fine. Um, you're going to assess the whole and then you're going to contribute a solution. You're going to try to bring that uh, knowledge that you've found and organize in your own mind to bear to help your client. So this is a good time to pause. Um, I know before we get to uh, um, the rest of the presentation, I'm not, I'm not seeing the bottom thing um there's yep there's one here it says mm -hmm. Brit, how many small settling cracks in a floor or wall constitute an issue what types of cracks differentiate this how would you relay this concern in your report and what photographs would you capture mm. where did this where did this uh student ask for the um where the where the cracks were um oh, walls sorry, yeah, where, where were and they? floor Hmm. I mean, that's the thing about this, right? That's why we're all interested is because what we want on site is a hard and fast rule, right? Like, okay, well, when the crack is wider than a quarter, then I'm going to say it needs to be a structural engineer. Like that's what we've all learned. But what I'm saying now, what a teaching class is, there's a context to every inspection and you have to look at the, look at the whole to try to figure out, are those cracks an issue? 
what kind of what kind of data do we have from the past about the home? You can ask for a seller disclosure on them. You can ask if they've ever had repairs. There's more digging to be done. And once you learn to do this, it doesn't have to be difficult. It can just be in conversation as you're going around. Oh yeah, did you, have you ever heard about any repairs on this? I'm noticing this. You can start to do that. You don't, the point of one of those slides earlier was the one about with the, the paint all over the, the kids' faces, the young people's faces, was we don't want to skip ahead to that answer before we've done the digging. Um, I mean, I'm not going to make up a number like seven or 17. Um, you have to have your own standard and you have to stand by it because um, it's kind of like saying how many mold spores are too many mold spores in a home. <laughs> you know, like there's not a standard because the context differs and because uh, client tolerance for those issues will differ as well. So that's not meant to be an unanswered. That's just anybody who's making a standard there, it's arbitrary. I mean, if there's research that comes out that by the time you have seven, eighth inch cracks, then you have a foundation problem, that's, that's fine. But um, heretofore, I don't know anything like that. So I'm gonna pick up at, at uh, Bob at 1029. I had a client's, is that, is that good, Kenya? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Okay. Um, he says, He says, I had a client's, a client's seller tell me the attic was unsafe to enter. Client's seller. So just the owner of the home is what you're saying. Um, the seller later told his agent that he said no such thing and I'm now on the hook to return and inspect. I mean, yeah, you're relying on hearsay there, not to use a legal term, but you're relying on what someone else told you. I mean, sometimes another context called gossip. Um, I mean, but we all do it, right? Uh, how should I have handled this situation, in your opinion? Um, attic was unsafe to enter. I probably would have called and verified. I probably would have called the listing agent or something. I mean, in a perfect world, honestly, if you're in a hurry, it's understandable that you might have moved on. Um, I wouldn't make a big deal out of returning and reinspecting and say, hey, I'm, I'm sorry, I misunderstood. Just take that, that one on the chin and do a great inspection. And um, then nobody has you... Uh, can be upset with you. Maybe your client just misunderstood something. Um, it's hard when there's a triangle of, of communication. I would avoid in all of life, <laughs> I'm learning this and I'm, I'm certainly not perfect at it. I think we should avoid triangles of communication. If there's some kind of issue, go straight to the person and don't expand that circle and, and make it worse. Um, Here in Quebec, the client always <laughs> walks and follows us around. Sean, I hope I, I hope I helped with that one. Um, Kevin says I bring toys for them to play with. The great idea. I, I can plug Nachi's uh, um, <laughs> coloring books there and stuff like that. I used to give the kids those. Um, this room has been inspected and it's monster free. I think I have those over there on the shelf. Actually, it's a really cool door hanger. Um, yeah, hand them a hand them a, a measuring tape. Don't hand them a an, a screwdriver um i think yesterday i offered they go play soccer outside um the mom didn't want them to but you know uh, that was for the kids obviously i guess these suggestions don't work for adults <laughs> give the adults a coloring book um and <laughs> dustin says i think i'm down to the last third or quarter here in reference to the question about how detailed to 
I think you mean report an issue. A picture is worth a thousand, a thousand words. Absolutely. Um, we're here in cases. Uh, I've been able to research this fully yet. I'm hearing this from my guys. So hopefully it's not hearsay. I need to go look at it myself. But uh, where people, where um, inspectors are being sued for saying the words monitor, I'm probably, I've just changed my wording when I say to monitor a crack to saying, go and measure it. And when it gets to, and I give them a, a width, then you need a structural engineer. Um, uh, Luke says, can you send us a copy of the slides? I went a bit too fast, sure. I think this will be recorded online. If there's something um, you want to text in that you want to see again or, or put in the Q&A, we'll, um, we will, uh, I'm happy to go back to it. I will repeat some of this as we go on to the sites. Um, sometimes I do, do talk fast. Um, I think I covered Brett's question there. Um, <laughs> Sean, keep the jokes coming, man. Don't give the adults coloring books. Give them a shot of whiskey. I mean, it depends on the time of day. Dunkin' Donuts, you know, you could be creative. Yeah, I mean, you could have them. I mean, get back to the pyramid, you know, your creativity is the only limit on what you're going to ask the adults to do other than follow you around. I mean, yeah, IR, give the client an IR camera to play with. Absolutely. Um, I mean, depending on how expensive it is and how much you trust them uh you you know you can bring them the now that you've had a home inspection book you can have them watch a slideshow about other inspections i don't know you could you could be uploading the pictures as you go and let them watch that on a screen i mean there's a ton of things i've never even thought about that but i guess that's possible somebody out there will figure that out um just send me a just just send me 30 percent of the company um when <laughs> when do I when do so Richard asks when I do basements with a step down exterior foundation walls step down I'm not familiar with that term I often find cracks in the right angle of the step down if they are thin I usually recommend seal and monitor how would you approach that I'd have to see a diagram or something Richard um uh cracks with a step down I, I think there's probably another word or I'd have to picture it um you can seal and monitor is fine. Seal and um, measure might be clear. Seal and reinspect uh, biannually or tw or twice yearly. Um, I never know if biannually is twice a year or every two years. I think that's every two years. Anyway, um, reinspect regularly, something like that. I'm not familiar with the step down. Uh, I don't, Tyler, I don't know of a tool that is just for measuring cracks. Um, Brett, what a uh, great name. Um, <laughs> what verbiage do you use to protect yourself from liabilities and still point out the issues? You mentioned monitor, maybe a bad term or other terms to avoid or use. Yeah, I think monitor is just a little bit vague, although honestly in North Carolina, it's, it's, um, 
believe it's in the standard. I should double check that. Um, I can see why it's a little bit vague. I might say monitor by measuring or um, reinspect for movement beyond whatever this width is. Uh, cracks are tough. I think that's why there's been so much interest in this stuff. Um, and again, I think we're, we're all learning and trying to figure that out. Um, I think I might've missed one above uh, from Dale. Um, yeah, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to miss Dale's there. Uh, and then we probably can. Yeah, Britt, uh, we're but, almost at the hour mark. So okay. if sure. you just want to continue and then uh, we'll go back to questions later on. Okay, and, and Kenya, are we doing, I'll, I will continue. Are we gonna do a break here? Um, is there a yeah. time? Well, we have to finish at, um, sorry, at 9.40 Mountain okay. Standard Time. So yeah, uh, yeah they, they will have like 20 minutes to get some coffee and stuff for their next class. Got it, okay, great. Uh, no. Make sure I don't run out of power here. Okay, um, good. Quickly, I've touched on some of this stuff already. Um, some of us, when we see uh, these amazing cars like this, we see all the components. We see the chrome work. We see the, <laughs> the, the white trim tires. We see the, it's probably a, a soft top. You can't tell from here see the headlights. I mean, I just, there's a ton of things to love about this and, and um, what's up to Quebec for this uh, license plate. But some of us just see at the end of the day, not everything that went into it, but just the finished product, just the beauty of the automobile that runs here. Um, I wanna talk a little bit about when you talk to clients, you wanna focus on the way that you present material and, and, and uh, observations and solutions to clients. Not an over description because over description tends to confuse. So take all that. Um, I wanted to have a diagram here of the iceberg principle. You wanna take all that data that's underneath the surface and just present it in a way that the client can understand. So we're gonna, we're gonna do some, a lot of that thinking and digging quietly. We're gonna be, we're gonna aim for clarity of delivery and we want the client to see what we see, to see and understand it, to see it through our eyes in a sense. And that performance, that presentation is seamless. We don't need to have a lot of fanfare about it. Oh, I did all this stuff. I can't even believe all the things I did. That's not really the point. <laughs> Just present it in a way the client can understand. Secondly, we want to assume, and I think, I think uh, this assumption might seem funny or strange to some folks, we want to assume that our clients are equal to us as human beings. Um, that they're part of our the same world, part of the same context. That the scene, whether we're writing or speaking, is a conversation. It's not like a delivery from on high on a mountain to a lowly client. We want to assume that the client can go verify the information. All these assumptions will help you writing so much. I used to be an English teacher. So my guys are probably chuckling at this and don't write incomplete sentences, but I didn't make a slide about that. There's software out there with incomplete sentences. It's not acceptable. We're professionals, we need to write incomplete sentences. 
that's a story for another day. So the, the conclusions of this theory are we're going to investigate before we explain. We can dig quietly without fanfare. We don't really need academic explanations. They may confuse. Um, the client is equal to the inspector. The client is equal to the inspector when you're delivering information. Given time and training, the client could be an inspector. If they chose the same career path, they would be in a similar place as us, is the assumption. You know, go, going and like legislating that is not necessary. It's just make that an assumption when you communicate with other thoughtful, grown adults. We're going to have an, not only we're going to have a conversation, we're going to have an even headed one. We're not, we're not going to try to blow up the home and we're not going to try to skimp over things that are important. Not only do we want the client to understand the information, we want them, were they so inclined to go be able to look at it themselves at any time. Like back to ownership, they have authority in this, they have responsibility for their home. Let them know what you're seeing. So back, back to recalling, defining, applying, analyzing. And what we're talking about when we talk about communication there is we're creating um, explanations and solutions for our, for our clients. Another way to think about it is we're gonna is that when we're in recall, we're digging for data, then we're gonna define, then in apply, we develop theories. Then the last three are C's. We categorize. We, we may criticize something as we evaluate, and then we're going to contribute when we create. We're going to contribute to the client's understanding and their well-being as an individual and they have a family. That's what we're there to do. That's just part of neighbor love. That's part of impartiality and fidelity to the, your clients and to the public, just like they were your neighbor and you're trying to help them out. It's a great way to look at it. Um, I just did question and answer, so I'm going to skip through here. Um, this one was on the, the last presentation as well. Uh, here's our first set of pictures. We roll up to this property, it's a little gravel drive. It's, um, as we're gonna see here, slightly downhill from the road. So we're already, uh, Jeff and I were at this one and I think another trainee, um, forgive me, it might've been Matt and, and uh, Eli, I don't recall. But if you guys are on the call, say what's up. Um, we arrive, we see it going downgrade, negative grade to um, the front of the home as it's oriented from the road, from the front door, it's actually the left side. Uh, this was a rare one where the door was around the side. Uh, and so we begin to sort of start to think about what we're gonna find. Um, The home here is already telling us a story. The, the trim's damaged. The, uh, I know that picture's a little grainy. There's moss on the roof. We're gonna see another picture of a mossy roof and sagging gutters on the next shot. We know there's high moisture on the front and the left sides of the home. It's not getting enough sunlight and the previous owners aren't keeping up with basic maintenance. It's a deferred maintenance property. The gutters are full of debris and, and falling. The uh, downspouts it's hard to a little bit 
hard to tell there, the, the extension is disconnected from the downspout. So the water is just pouring out against the foundation. You see some more trim damage at the roof wall joint there. I think that was a little bump out on the left side of the home. And then you see they've put in some mulch bed coverings, but also there's moss on that front wall or some mildew or some kind of growth. Um, the water, as we saw in the first picture, flows from the road to that front wall. You get in the crawl space. We're not surprised to find a sump pump that's not working. Falling insulation. And there's some mold growth there at the top, as you see on the joist. And on several of the walls, we're seeing missing mortar, black mold growth. So this is our digging, right? We were able to confirm in the crawl space what we saw from the outside, but we didn't skip it. We kept digging, taking pictures. Um, so back to the, the title of this session, look, think, and talk. Uh, how can we sort and categorize these issues? How can we help the client arrive at a solution? How do we read the client's understanding? You know, on this, these particular clients, they needed, um, they needed a couple of different passes at, at getting what was going on with this house. And then what if the client is overly worried? Um, a friend, Brad, really helped me with this yesterday. Uh, some of us are awesome at finding stuff, right? And we know our codes and our, and our standards like the back of our hand. We have a hard time with is reading people. Um, and I say we. And this Doing this for a living has really helped me with that. You know, look in your client's eyes, look at their nonverbals, try to figure out, are they understanding what's going on here? Walk them to that negative grade or to um, that crawl space door. I wouldn't take them in the crawl space, but walk them to where the, the spaces that you can walk them to and try to explain it to them in ways they can understand. Um, so that being said, um, I'm going to do a couple of these and then I'm going to take questions um, or responses rather so that we get a little bit of, of talk about each site. Um, and again, I, I'm only sorting, calling something major here just for the sake of, of, of um, analyzing and sorting this out for you guys so we can talk about it and we're not going to talk about everything we saw in those pictures, but um, this is not necessarily the way I'd write a report. Uh, repair the grading is one is one key thing and, and we need to have some creative solutions you know the one that i regularly recommend is just a repair i've done in my own home just digging the trench and putting the pipe in myself and running the water around the home and it, and it really helped immediately and you can test that with a hose just make sure it's working you can repair the grating and install the exterior drainage you're going to need to replace that sump pump and you're going to have to deal with the roof uh, and that again is from being on site trying to sort through that information and deal with it and make it and communicate in a way the client can understand 
This home is unique in our area. I'm sure there's some like it in, uh, in the mountains. It had a walk up from the uh, lower area, from the lower drive. As you can see, there's a garage door in the basement there. And then it had a walk across from the road. Very strange setup. Um, that's what the, it looked like from the road. It's really hard to reconcile those two pictures, right? Um, the car is parked and you'll hear, see here in a second, my car is parked way, my old vehicle is parked way down that hill. That was where the garage was from the road. So the road was coming so far down from right to left that you were able to drive in to the basement from the left side and walk to the first floor from the, from the road. It's much, much like a mountain home might be. Um, <clears throat> there's the catwalk across and that negative grade coming down from the road to that front wall. That is a view from the back. So you can kind of see how steep the grade is. I'm not even gonna talk about the decks. <laughs> we could, if we're gonna do a deck class, we should just like go to the mountain homes that these guys see in North Carolina. And, and a lot of them are on Nazi's videos as well. And just, you could just tape for weeks uh, about the different issues on decks. Um, in, in our class, we also will look up those debt collapse videos because I think they're very instructive as to why that kind of stuff happens, but that's not really the goal here. Um, this is a pretty cool topographical map of that home. Um, I just blotted out the, the name of the road there. Uh, as Jeff wrote, the pad the home's on is the only thing flat. I don't even think it's not even built on a flat pad, but you can see how steeply the grade runs down uh, this home. So it's not going to be surprising when we find uh, termite damage waist high, waist high in the, in the basement. Uh, moisture is a conducive condition for termites. If you're in the South, maybe out West, I don't, recalling the map, I don't believe it's as prevalent. There was moisture on the carpet and the wall, soft walls. There was also mold growing. Um, that one's a little blurry, but I believe that was above a, a kind of a big open door frame and open concept. There was other mold marks and termite marks in the floors. Uh, and always use your nose, use all five of your senses. So um, here, what are our key pieces of data? Um, You know, here we're gonna we're gonna start to think about just how big of a deal is that uh, grade at the front wall. How are we gonna sort and categorize them? How do we explain them? This is back to create. How do we explain them to the client in a way he or she can understand? Again, the things that we would call out on site here are um, repair the grading that was not at the rear right corner at the front wall. Install, you're gonna have to install some um, substantial exterior drainage at this home and you're gonna have to remediate the mold uh, in the crawl space or in the basement rather. 
Um, you may have to do a sump pump. Um, as well. Um, here's the third home. It is a uh, like a 57 split level. It had been flipped just to give a little bit of context. Um, everything looked great from the front, but when we met with the client, he said he had, had standing water in the basement. And this was an unusual one because um, the standing water seemed, his, his explanations of it seemed extreme until we saw the back of the home uh, right there at that back door. So it looks like there was some kind of covering installed that had been removed. We started to see that water would come around that retaining wall, most likely, and run through that door and maybe well up underneath the walls with that amount of water. And it would end up looking like this in their basement floor. Um, two inches of standing water whenever it would rain. Um, you know, these are the pictures that the client received uh, before buying. And this is what, excuse me, this is what happened on the right after they bought. <laughs> yeah, they cut up that pretty green wall and replace all the damaged drywall because of grading outside the home. In the crawl space, the sump pump was um, not functioning. There was standing water in the crawl space on the main side of the home. If you're familiar with split level, there's kind of a main floor, lower level and an upper level. Uh, so underneath the main floor is where the crawl is. And that's where we found that sump pump. So again, we're asking ourselves questions as we're finding this, this, uh, these pieces of data. And I, I understand in a webinar, this is all compressed into a few slides. When you're on site, you're gonna have time. You're gonna have your own pictures and observations. So I just wanna encourage you to keep doing that, that hard work. Um, You know, again, on this one, it's a funny thing. We didn't find a ton of cracks here. We found a lot of water issues. Um, and this, this is probably the one that I copied from earlier because this is the rear right corner of the home. Um, you're going to want to come up with a solution on a home like this for how they're going to avoid having just cascading water around that retaining wall. Uh, where is it supposed to go? Would you put a ground drain in that cement and run, see if you can run that out uh, to the yard or to the road? So I would try to take care of it before it came to that door. I might even do two with the amount of issues they're having there. Uh, again, if somebody wants to stay there and this was, this was for an owner, he was already living there then they're gonna to need to come up with solutions to stay. So you're definitely gonna to have to install exterior drainage as well. So when I say repair grading, can you regrade that at all and or install exterior drainage? You're gonna to need to install or repair the interior drainage as well. Um, I'm, I'm honestly, you know, with something like that, being there, knowing them, I'd probably tell them to just get rid of the carpet. 
uh, just do a bare cement with some area rugs or something down there or a hard tile that's not going to get damaged by water. Um, to do another story, I had a friend, it wasn't a grading issue, but he was on a slab, hardwood floors throughout, and his um, air handler in the mechanical room, the, the pan rusted out and leaked into the floor, started to rot out his flooring, and he ended up having to tear up probably eight or 10 square feet and getting a whole in, you know, having an insurance call, getting a water damage claim out of it. Um, so once water's getting into that floor, you're going to get more and more damage, you know, ca carpet guys, carpet in the basement is a bad idea. <laughs> just, I feel like that's in trainings, but let's just start saying that more carpet in the basement and in the bathroom, bad ideas. Number four, this gets, this was residential inspection, but it uh, gets into some commercial issues uh, if you're doing commercial as well, um, which we do trainings on. Um, probably have no, another cohort of, of trainings uh, coming up in the wintertime for commercial inspections. This was a, an old mill in a nearby town that had been converted into apartments. If I get a call about mold, it's an apartment, nine times out of 10, it is in the basement. Um, not surprising, but again, clients don't know these issues when they come to us. That's why they're coming to us. There is the sidewall. I believe her apartment was the one near the end of that retaining wall. Uh, here's that side view. It's hard to tell here because of the shadow, but it drops down a good three or four feet from there. Uh, and if we go back and look at actually the roof eaves, there, well, there really isn't one. There's coping on the top wall. We didn't walk the roof here, but you can just look at it and tell that it's lacking that, uh, that clearance that you're going to need uh, to be able to, to uh, shed some water away from that retaining wall area in that basement. Um, so here's the issues that we found as we started to investigate right around the client's window you have uh, some mold growth starting there on the brick, on the uh, cement, or even the ephus around the brick there, or the trim, uh, and just various cracking and, and uh, mortar issues. This was another unit we found, but it illustrated well what was going on here in the basement. Water was running down that built up wall and into the carpet. Again, carpet in the basement. With the client's permission, this was a mold job. We, we pulled back the carpet to investigate, found water issues there. Uh, this, this tack strip wasn't black on the left, but it is on the right. A black tack strip is always a bad idea. Um, and, and also, just back to here, this, the, the carpet pad is a sponge. So that's going to have to be ripped out too. So uh, same thing here. You know, we obviously pulled the, the airborne uh, spores and all that stuff, which we'll talk about in a second. So again, we're asking questions as we're there. How can we help the client with this issue? And in this case, what was the HVAC doing? Speaking of sorting and categorizing, how is the HVAC related to the mold growth? Well, the HVAC was passing it around the rest of the, the property. Uh, this one's kind of long, right? We have drainage issues outside. 
we have specific spores that we tested for that are growing in the basement. We have uh, cladosporium in the HVAC system. We wrote a second um, set of repairs specifically uh, trying to prioritize her health issues, repairing drainage and the exterior wall, removing and replacing the carpet, the pad and the tack strips that were damaged, removing uh, visible mold growth from the HVAC and installing a dehumidifier and uh, HEPA grade filter for the property, giving it two weeks and uh, retesting. I'm getting a couple of questions here, it looks like. Yeah, there's okay. um, um, there's one in the chat that says, how much solution or tying together of issues do you do in your reporting? Or do you just state each issue and say it may be related? Where in the report mm. is best to point out your findings and a possible solution? Mm. Yeah, I was looking for that one. Um, I don't always give a protocol for repairs unless it is a mold job, uh, then I will. Um, but again, that's by reading the client. Some clients feel empowered when they just get the bare information. Some of them need a protocol, uh, if that's the question. If back to two interrelated issues, I often direct the repairs separate from each other, but I will in writing, but I will connect them verbally because I want the client to understand. But in writing, I'm concerned with overstating the case and the implications such that it can be questioned. I want the repair done in writing, but for the client's understanding, I want them connected. So I hope that makes sense. Thank you. There, there's a long one at the end of the chat. If you yeah. go there. From Richard? Uh, no, Jody. Okay. It says, inspected a 50s home a couple of weeks ago. Very impressed with how meticulously meticulously mm -hmm. <laughs> maintained it was. Radon mitigation system had been installed. All cracks, mm -hmm. slab step, etc., had been very well sealed. However, a plexiglass covering was installed in the sub slab, some pump. Um, the original mm -hmm. floor drain was blocked and sealed when the sump system was put in. It was both glued and screwed down with no evident means of uh, no evident means for the water to enter the pump space. Not sure how I should have called it out. I'm not a radon guy, though I passed the course. Radon mitigation was intact, but no drains up, no drain option existed for the sump. Very confusing. I didn't know what was right. Seemed to me that radon mitigation completely defeated the purpose of the sump pump. Ideas, thoughts? That's a, that's a detailed one. Um, and I'm not, you know, I'm just so you know, Kenya, I'm seeing them out of order now. The last one I have updated is 1119, but that's okay. Um, I'm going to try to answer that from, from memory there. Uh, why was the, why was the radon pump negating the effects of the sump pump? Um, so it opinion? just... It just opinion. said it was both glued and screwed down with no evident means for the water to enter this, the pump space. Um, 
to do, okay. there was no way for water to drain. Okay. Um, oh, I see, I see. So that was in the chat, I was in the Q&A. Okay, I got it now. Um, yeah, I don't know enough or see enough on the installation side of, of sump pumps. In my experience, it appears that water is supposed to flow to them either on the basement slab or beneath it um, using some kind of piping system. That's something that I would have to ask a sump pump installer. I think that's a really detailed question. Um, because, oh, I see you're saying they covered the sub slab sump pump in order to install radon. That, oh, I see what you're saying. So the air wouldn't escape. That's complicated and I wouldn't, I I'd have to see it on site because I think their reasoning for installing it that way would have been to seal the air up underneath the slab so they can remove it. It would be hard to drain water uh, through anything that's airtight. <laughs> so that's, that's why they did that. That's just an understanding level. That's not, I don't have a solution for that, I think without being on site, but that's where I'd begin is trying to understand why they did it and then figure out, is there a different way to drain the water? The client might sort those issues differently. They might care a whole lot about radon or they might care a whole lot more about the sump. And again, it's for your client. So try to figure that out, which one's more important to them. Thank you, Bert. We have another one here mm -hmm. um, in the chat. Wait, because it just moved. Um, what's your liability if a recommended repair does not work and more damage occurs? Liability when that was in the Q&A? Yeah, no, that there. was on the, in the chat. Right, I'm in the going chat. up okay. the chat right now. Okay. Um, from Paul, what's your liability if a recommended repair does not work and more damage occurs? Hmm. Are we promising clients? I mean, Paul, this is, a, this is an open question. Are we making promises to clients that our repairs will take away all of their worries? Because I don't, I don't think that's an implicit promise. We're not liable for, for repairs or cost of repairs anyway. We're just giving them information. Obviously, you want to do the best that you can for each client. Um, but I don't know if I buy the assumption that if a repair doesn't work, that we're on the hook for that. I mean, when people look, when clients go scorched earth on you and start telling you about how hard of a move they have and they didn't do the repairs they were supposed to and they're angry at you three months later, I don't, like I don't live in that house. My, my job isn't to do the repairs. So I don't, that doesn't hold any water to me. That's, that's, that's a whole lot leakier than a sealed sump pump to me. Um, I, I just, I don't buy those as an inspector, as a professional, I don't buy those assumptions. So I think if you're buying your, the assumptions, you, you probably should be charging a lot more for your inspections and having a lot better insurance. Thank you, Britt. There's one from Richard Diaz um, in the Q&A, if you can go mm -hmm. there because it's mm -hmm. a long one. <laughs> oh, maybe this later, 1116, that one? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yep, okay. Yeah, I mean, if we've answered them, I mean, if we can do answered, I can still come back and type something later, but that'll just help me as I page through these. 
um because i know it's 11 27. um mm -hmm. Okay, so Richard says a step down foundation wall to me when you're dealing with a home with a walkout basement on the back of the home. So the grading at the front is roughly equal to the front door. As you go around the side, you're going downhill to the level of basement floor. I got you. By the time you reach the back of the home where you walk out, well, the walkout basement door is. So, so the foundation wall as you go along the side of the home from the main floor to the basement, the height of the Concrete foundation wall steps down two or three feet vertically as you move 10, 10 feet horizontally like an elongated stairway. Okay. I mean, I've seen what I call them as half ba half crawls, half basements. So like you said, the front has a crawl and the back has a basement. I don't see a lot of step downs, but I get what you're saying. Um, the question when you look at structure, um, and I've had to learn this in the last uh, six, six and a half years, just like anybody, the question with structure is where where is the bearing? Where is the weight going? So I would be asking questions about the way that it's laid out and and whether or not those cracks that you, and this is a reference to that earlier question, whether or not those cracks are, um, if we're concerned about them and the way that they're bearing, uh, or if that step down is merely um, like a retaining, it almost sounds like it could be a retaining wall for the crawl. And again, I have to be on site. So this is why whenever you text a trainer, they're like, I'd have to, the first thing they always say in text or something is like, I'd have to be on site, but because we're not there and you're the professional and you're going to make the observations. Um, but I think that's a good question. Uh, Dale asked, Dale. asked mm -hmm. about um, role to, is it the inspector's role to detect and direct to an expert that will evaluate and provide options? Your example in the commercial building building and offering specific examples can be a slippery slope. In, in North Carolina, there is, you know, there's basically they give us three options for our um, directions to the client, a course of repair, um, a specialist, or to monitor it. Um, and obviously, I read that as the, there's ranges inside of each of those. So it's not necessarily it's not outside our job to direct to a further investigation. Again, the client can opt to do that or not. Um, I think maybe by slippery slope, I'd have to hear more, but um, you may mean uh, that's gonna get them down the road to expensive repairs or to uh, maybe more confusion. Uh, sometimes I'll say, and this is probably a more helpful answer. Sometimes I'll say something like, I could probably type this in later. Uh, consult with a structural engineer concerning repairs to the outside wall. So I'll direct what they're supposed to talk about, but I still think they should see that, that person. So I think there's a way to use your language that isn't so stodgy and blocky that you can get in what you want but you can tell them where they need to go to get it to and not just leave it totally open-ended. Again, be as specific as you need to be with your clients concerning the, the property and the client's understanding. I'm looking back through the 11 new messages. Oh boy. Yeah, there's um, a lot. Um, we are at the 10 minute mark. So okay. I don't know if you wanted to continue Great. or continue Ab to answer questions. Absolutely. I'm happy to continue. Um, I want to 
uh, I want to get through a few more sites. Uh, this one's on the other webinar. This is Jeff's house. He, um, uh, I guess I can say that. <laughs> Did I say that on the last one, Jeff? I don't know. I don't know if he's on this call. Uh, there's a little bit of a negative grade there. They had some awesome tomato plants this year. They also have some um, chickens that lay great eggs. Uh, this is around the side. This is, you'd almost think this was a step down, but this is a full basement. Um, this is around the side. This is a horizontal crack in the front wall in the basement. This is water coming through the foundation wall on the left side where the well pump comes through. Uh, there's water also coming through at just another random spot and there's a lot of efflorescence. Uh, he also has a full, not a full width, maybe a, a half width or two thirds width steel brace that's been installed um, in the wall. No, I'm sorry, there's two and they're vertical. And so what that tells me as an inspector is the, the wall is getting hydrostatic pressure and it's trying to lean forward. So I didn't do a slide about repairs here, but you would just, again, you'd look through and think about those items. Uh, the sixth case study is just a quick overview of what we're talking about when we look at grading. So this was a mold job. The guy lived in, you guessed it, you guessed it, a basement apartment. He, uh, when we got there and he started describing it and we, and Brad and I were looking around, we started to sort of smell and notice, even though it was late, it was a winter night and the sun had already said it was like six o'clock. I went back and checked later and realized he's right up against the floodplain. Um, so that, you know, that's research you want to do for your clients there. I want to get to uh, this one we just did the other day. This was with uh, Corey and this was in a nearby town. Um, this again looks like a moderate amount of negative grade, but it's really starting to tend toward um, severe when we looked around at. That's the view from the side of the front wall. Then there's a lot of overgrowth here on the right side of the home because they never went around that way. The, the driveway around the left side of the home, that's another shot of that front wall. The, I mean, again, there's pine needles all over the roof. There's no gutters. I mean, there's often no gutters at these type of homes. And so we get into the basement. It's a full basement. No, I'm sorry. It was, it was um, on a slab on the left side and it was a crawl space on the right side. There's no, uh, there's no ground drain. There's no sump pump, nothing installed on the floor. The walls have been painted to try to cover something likely mold and efflorescence, and you can still see it peeking through there. The uh, wall is cracking laterally, uh, horizontally. And, you know, not directly related to this, but we also, as we're in there, we noticed they, they cut floor joists to install um, cast iron, you know, that cut is huge. We noticed there's moisture intrusion underneath the front door and they've tried to cover it up three different times. So we know there's some other issues going on down there. Um, when we look and think and talk about this property, we're again, trying to sort through these things and give them to the client in a way they can understand. And some of the way that this is designed is to help you guys uh, be able to sort through it on your own when you're on site. 
And we're just going to trust you to be able to do that. We're not necessarily going to always say, you know, you have to do this or do that. Yeah, there are some questions okay. there. Yeah, that just came in. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, I don't want to get into too many of the code. I, I've seen some of the code stuff, guys. I don't want to do that right now because that's a that's more of a research thing that that um, we can do and talk about. Um, I think there's still there's some good talk in there in the in the chat, by the way, about that sump pump. Um, are you Ray Ray Solomon says, are you recommending specific repairs to be completed? Or are you recommended that qualified tradespeople evaluate the system? I don't know, Ray, if you're talking about the sump pump issue. Um, I think you can. Uh, here's another phrase I use because I, I, I try to I see what you're getting at there. The tradespeople can determine the repairs or you can. I think you both can work together on it. And this is how I'll say. So for an HVAC system, I'll say consult HVAC system or consult HVAC technician concerning um, no, uh, the above noted repairs and cleaning the system or consult HVAC technician concerning repairs not it are including but not limited to so i'm going to give them a few repairs that need to be done and i'm going to leave the tech room or, or whoever the consultant is room to direct further repairs but i'm going to say these two or three things have to be done including but not limited to these repairs so that way i'm taking i'm, I'm giving the client an understanding of what the issue is i'm telling them who to talk to about it and i'm also leaving it to his his expertise to be able to help further Um, a couple more. I thought that was the only one necessarily that I um, want to make sure we end on time. That was the only one that uh, necessary to grab right now. Um, looks like one just popped up. Yeah. <laughs> uh, recommending a structural engineer seems to be a nuclear option for cracks in our industry. What conditions do you use to recommend a structural engineer versus measure monitor and, and or foundation contractor? Uh, you know, this is kind of from some of the Nachi trainings, but if it's three eighths of an inch, so in a quarter to three eighths, the trainings say that's kind of like you need to be concerned about it at a quarter inch wide crack. And then at three eighths, you definitely want to go to a structural engineer um, from what I've read. And again, you're welcome to check all this. Uh, I'm concerned about getting an engineer out when I'm finding expansive soil, when I'm seeing looks like it's moving um, recently or quickly. Uh, on the other hand, if it's a 40, 50 year old home and it's got slight cracking, that doesn't, that contextually, that doesn't seem to be as big of a deal to me. Again, you have to make decisions based on the data you have and the education and experience and honest convictions that you have. So you have to make that decision and stand by it. But for me, that's kind of where I move more toward an engineer. Um, uh, any tips for uh, West Coast with slab on grade foundations? With slabs, when they're finished, it's really hard, you, you know, you can't see cracks because you're not pulling up the finished floor. What I look for is a, a, a crack that runs all the way through width-wise is the most common one in our area. It could be front to back. Often for me, it's width-wise. If it's running through left to right and it's a finger width wide or even a pen, you know, your pen's about three-eighths of an inch wide. If it's doing that and it's going all the way through, I'm certainly writing it up for a structural engineer. Um, usually it doesn't do that. But again, you can't see that. Um, and I'd love to hear if IR cameras or anything else can do that. But um, 
again, know the context and know the age of the property and kind of what you're dealing with. Um, I appreciate that, Jason. I mean, I think the comp, you know, I come from an English background, so I'm trying to find ways to communicate clearly that that are you that use complete sentences and that we can refer back to and actually break down the phrasing of not all your clients will do this, but as you can be as clear as possible um, will always help. So I think we're about out of time. Um, I appreciate it, guys. I will. Um, I'll page through to the end. Wish there was a button I could do that on. Um, and just say, uh, thank you guys. Uh, contact us if you have any more questions. We'd love to work with you, train you, hear your thoughts. Um, I'd love to hang out uh, next time I'm out in California inspecting. Um, so thank you, Richard. Thanks to everybody who, I'm, I'm super humbled that so many people came on this call. I really appreciate it. And um, I hope to hear from you all.